way, I suppose I should introduce. This is Brian from Critical Reaction. <laughs> yeah, for the video. That yeah, makes for sense. the video. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you tell I'm very good at doing interviews now. Um, <laughs> I thought it would be fun to chat with Brian. He um, reacted to one of my songs a few months back, which I really appreciated because, you know, when you're a smaller artist, it's not like uh, a lot of people will, you know, listen to your music. Um, I think I get it as you, you probably want to. I like that you don't just do big bands, but I know a lot of reactors want to just focus on the big bands that'll get the views. So, um, uh, how did you start doing reaction videos or why did you start doing reaction videos? I've actually come from a long process of trying to work from home in something less controlled by other companies. I've, I've done like work from home, uh, uh, what do you call it? Call centers. Okay customer yeah. service and that was just like not my jam but at the time uh, i was unemployed and having a tough time getting a job and had a kid at home so like trying to schedule all this together i was like i gotta find a way to work from home so i i tried like a bunch of things i was doing like journalism i tried uh, selling my music uh, i just tried a bunch of stuff and eventually i was like youtube's the way right and uh so I tried a couple channels and none of them really took off. And I was like, reactions are pretty popular these days. Let's give that a shot. And that, that, that stuck. Did you have like a, a certain couple of videos that really popped? Um, or was it kind of like a slow the burn? <laughs> <laughs> the ones that popped were the ones that uh, probably cost me larger audiences. Okay. Um. In my videos, I tend to be fairly positive, yeah, yeah. but I do have a bit of criticism. I, I don't mind saying something didn't work for me or yeah. if I were in charge, I would have done it this way or something like that. And I upset the Tool community, Ooh. the Nightwish community, Ooh. and the Baby Metal community all within <laughs> like a month. And those were the three biggest videos at my start. I don't know. I, I, I think I prefer that. I have kind of a weird relationship with like how I reaction channels in general like when i first saw reaction channels like pop up and start to become big i was like this is the stupidest thing like <laughs> you know what i mean it's like i'm a serious musician and like these people are just coming on and like especially the channels where they're like they just sit there and go whoa 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 they don't actually like say anything and then the video just ends and i'm like okay what's the point of that it's like watching someone play video games like i don't know <laughs> just, um, i mean like I, I refer to those as entertainment reactors. I suppose, as, yeah. As, you know, opposed from like the analysis reactors, like, you know, um, Charismatic Voice yep. and yeah. uh, Carter Shiv Academy. I, I think they have merit. It's it's like watching your, it's like sharing your song with like your, your favorite song with a best friend. You're like, this song I just get. And then watching them have that, whoa, that was awesome. That kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah. It feels like with so, those uh, those type of channels that, if you're watching them, basically you want, it seems like people want to get validated for their opinion on a band, basically, to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Be like, yeah. I really love this yeah. band. This I want to watch someone else who loves it too, which I totally get. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that I've never watched Entertainment Reactor, but uh, I mean, that's how I was introduced to it yeah. too. I, I didn't just start saying, you know, I'm going to do a reaction. I was watching... Um, I watched No Life Shack. I think that dude's hilarious. And um, Lost in Vegas, I think, oh, yeah, was another guys. one. Yeah. And uh, 
Alex, I think uh, he was a lawyer who was uh, a hip hop dude getting into metal. Yeah, I've seen a couple of his videos, too. And those were the ones that kind of got me into it. But I don't think I'm funny like that. <laughs> some so of when that, I started reacting. Yeah, some of that kind of reaction video, I think, is and this goes with a lot of YouTube channels. It's like people watch it for the personality of the person involved, not so much the content, which. Yeah, I understand, you know, whereas like. I feel like my content is super dry and I'm not the most like <laughs> engaging personality. So, so it's like, I'm like yeah. trying to like do it based on my content, not on, on some sort of, you know, character traits. <laughs> I'm right there with, I know my content's dry. I, I talk in front of a camera with no background noise for 30 minutes. You got to <laughs> like what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I, I do really appreciate that. And going back to your action thing, like I do enjoy the channels that do more of a deep dive kind of analysis. I really like that you did do the lyrics because I don't see that a ton um, with the reaction stuff. I, in fact, I don't know if I've ever seen that, like at least as, as deep detailed as you've done before. So like when you reacted to my song, like you did the lyrics for like 15 minutes, I was like, oh, this is cool, you know, <laughs> especially yeah. since I didn't even write the lyrics. So, oh, See, I didn't start doing that. And it actually took me, um, pro I probably took me a year and a half before somebody was like, hey, uh, you know, the lyrics are pretty important for that track. It helped you understand what's going on. And I was like, I'm kind of a music guy, though. <laughs> uh, but like I started doing it a couple of times. I was like, you know, this is great because it's another facet of the music I can tie into things thematically. So I, I kind of just lucked into it. It wasn't definitely not my plan. Yeah, it, it's funny. I have people asking me to talk about lyrics, too. But I'm like, I'm not a lyricist at all. It's the one thing I'm really bad at. And I just, I'm like, I don't really have much to say about it. I know it's important in, in certain music, especially the lyrics, but I'm like, you're going to have to go somewhere else for that. Uh, I'll explain all the polyrhythms. That's fine. But don't ask me to explain some lyrics for you. Yeah. I mean, most of the time I walk away from the lyrics, I'm like, I kind of, I kind of know what's going on. It kind of fits in, but I mean, guys, I'm not a lyricist. <laughs> That's what most of my lyric sections are. And it kind of depends on, there's certain styles of music. I know like in the prog world, a lot of times the music is completely written before vocals, like lyrics and vocals even are there. So like the music and lyrics don't necessarily always like connect how, like they how don't. you would think sometimes they do, but you know, it can be a, yeah. it depends on, on the song. Um, but yeah, like the sort of deep dive analysis, I find that a lot more interesting. Um, and I think over, over time I've kind of come to understand the purpose of reaction channels and like, and I think they're definitely useful and necessary now. I think it was just when it first popped up, I was like, what is this? You know, that's uh, that knee jerk reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I really it, uh, like about reaction channels is that it's almost in some way brought back the importance of music videos because for a long time when there was no MTV and there was like no, no one really made music videos or watched them. And now I feel like there's kind of a resurgence of that because of all these people reacting to music videos, um, which I think is interesting. I mean, even like, uh, who is it? Falling in Reverse does okay. really theatric music videos. And when I watch reactions to their stuff, a lot of it isn't about the music. It's about, whoa, did you see that effect? Or did you see how they were doing this? And so like... Yeah, I think you're spot on where the music video is becoming very important in the role of reactions themselves. 
Yeah, and like people, it seems like some people are making music videos specifically. Part of it is specifically reacted, reacted to. to. Yeah, like this is like yeah. shocking or really cool looking. So this is going to get a ton of views, and then it's going to get even yep. more views because people are going to react to it. You know. Yeah, stuff like uh, Electric Cowboy. Yeah, I remember yeah. Hypa Hypa being very big about the video itself. Yeah, and I, I think I think their music videos are hilarious. You know, and exactly. I've, I've watched <laughs> they remind them. Remind me of. Go for it. Yeah, no, I've, I've watched them because I just like think they're funny. You know, I don't really care for the music that much, but it's fun. It reminds me of uh, like 2000s era Blink-182. Mm. Yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. about dumb comedy. And sometimes that works. <laughs> There's definitely a place for that. That's for sure. Um, yeah, but like the fall in, in reverse, though, that's a definitely a big one. where You can tell like these guys are like they're going for the views, <laughs> like, Yep, which I get. Uh, and then, like some of the big, I mean, b big reaction channels have like, they have a draw, like they have a pull. They can push people to like actually checking out, you know, music on a on a pretty large scale. So, oh yeah, it's it's one hundred percent a marketing tool, or it can be a marketing tool now. Yeah, is to uh, to push out your music videos to big channels and have them push it out to you know their millions of eyes and stuff like that. Yeah, and yeah, like when I released when I release songs, like I'll, I'll reach out to, you know, a couple dozen reaction channels in the hopes that maybe a few might react to something, but it definitely is, is worth, worth doing. Um, I, I do enjoy that you, you, re, you'll react to smaller videos. Do you get a lot of like inquiries about reacting? Yes. I have an entire folder in my email, uh, for bands want me to check out stuff yeah. and they're all, you know, less than a thousand subscribers on YouTube. Yeah. Every Friday I, I check out, I call it a creator request. That's okay. the program. Every Friday I check out a smaller band. And is that, those are always live on your channel? Like, yeah. Typically, okay. Yeah. Everything I make is available for everybody. I don't, you don't um, do any page put anything there. behind. Nope. Okay. And that stuff gets blocked, thing, obviously. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> see, even when it gets blocked, though, I toss it over on Odyssey. And then I put like a redirect video on YouTube that says, hey, it was blocked, but you can check it out at this other link. How often do you get blocked? Uh, it used to be really frequent. Okay. I don't know what it was in like the first, I think it was the first year. Uh, even Rush blocked me and everybody was real confused about that. Like Rush doesn't block anybody. Weird. But yeah, but in the last couple of years, it's it's rare. It's like once or twice a year now. Yeah, I've had a few videos blocked, um, and so I've either gone out and taken out that section or muted it if it was a short part. It's only been a couple, though. Typically, it's just like a copyright claim, you know, and you can't monetize it, yep. which is fine. Um, and I usually expect that. I don't, I don't understand the blocking for like reaction channels or what I'm doing because, I mean, basically, what I'm doing if if I'm like analyzing a song is I'm just like gushing about the music theory behind it. Like, why oh. would you block that? I'm, <laughs> I'm not making any money on it. It's like, here, go check out this awesome band. It's like, I don't exactly. Know. It's it's promotion. It's education. There's no reason. As far as I'm concerned, it's it falls under fair use. Your stuff specifically even is definitely under fair use. And I don't care about like getting a claim if I'm actually sharing the band's music and like they can make the money. Like, I don't really care about that. But like, don't block it. <laughs> That's stupid. Exactly. But yeah, you're right. I don't think that happens nearly as much now. I, th I feel like YouTube has recently changed kind of a little bit of that. Yeah. Or even the record labels are starting to see the 
the purpose of reaction They're starting channels. to understand, yeah. Yeah, and how they can uh, utilize it possibly. Yeah, it's, I think you ha- it happens a lot with older bands. Like, because they don't maybe, under, or the old, like the big record labels, the old record labels that don't understand as much of how the social media stuff works. Yep. Um, I found that I get blocked the most on TikTok, which is weird. <laughs> that is interesting because TikTok is all about repurposing other people's You know content. what it is? <laughs> I get, <laughs> this is the, this is the most annoying. It's happened to me like five or six times. I get blocked posting my own music. That's pretty good. Because I I go through DistroKid or whatever, and you can, you know, put all these different platforms to, to oh. do it through. Um, and TikTok won't, like, specifically TikTok won't let me challenge it. <laughs> like, they have a really hard process for challenging copyright stuff. It's and even it's, weirder. I'm like, this is my song, and I can't post it. Um, like, on YouTube, if that happens, which has happened a few times, I can just... The dispute it and it'll be yeah, resolved in quick. a day or two um yeah i don't know it's it's really weird to get blocked for your own stuff but i guess they don't know they're just it's just like a algorithm listening for a song yep. that's copyright doesn't surprise me hearing that distro kit does that too because i've only heard horror stories about that label distro kid actually yeah i've had good good pretty good experience with distro kid overall <clears throat> i think well, what i like good. about it is you can release singles basically anytime you want. Um, I've done CD Baby in the past, and that was like <clears throat> you had to do a full album release, and then you paid oh, per album release. And DistroKid was, I think you might be getting them mixed up. I don't know. I might be getting them mixed up. <clears throat> but DistroKid allows me to do like a single if I want every <laughs> once in a while kind of a thing. <clears throat> which is funny because like the modern music world is all about the single you would think yeah. every label would want you to maximize your single output well i think that with i know a cd baby is at least i don't know if it's changed now but like you can do singles you just have to pay for each one where district kid it's like a yearly thing and then you you can do however many you want within within gotcha. that amount of time um <clears throat> i don't know if you've released anything through like a that's sort of like streaming yeah. to streaming platforms before. Not um, everything is uh self-published on Bandcamp for me okay. and YouTube. Yeah, I do the Bandcamp thing too and, and YouTube, but I people want to stream music, you know, I bet ba- you basically make absolutely no money from it, but I don't know. At least you can get put on like some Spotify playlists or whatever, hopefully and Right. Maybe um I did check out a, a few of your compositions it was, it was good stuff oh, okay. very, very interesting do you have a Thank separate you. channel for that or is it on yeah uh it's critical compositions okay. what's your main instrument uh trumpet trumpet okay interesting i'm i'm probably a bit weak on it these days but i have 15 years of classical and jazz on it okay. um and then i self-trained on uh piano and drums and guitar okay and i am quite a bit weaker on all those yeah i feel like if you're doing any composing that piano at least to a certain extent is is pretty important yeah especially once you get into digital stuff midi keyboard functions for everything yep yeah and i'm pretty bad at it like a lot of times i find myself like just like manually inputting midi instead of playing it because i'm not the best player like keyboard player in the world but it definitely is a useful skill to have um at least to a certain extent i don't know 
I had to take a couple of years of class piano in music school, like it was required of everybody. So I can at least, you know, play some chords and scales. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. Um, my wife's a classical pianist. That's her. She teaches. That's oh, that's her, awesome. That's her main job. So I don't know. I never felt the need to like get really good <laughs> at it. But um, so do you have do you have form, you obviously have formal training then? Yes. Um, interestingly, I didn't start that way in college. I took trumpet uh, throughout middle school and high school uh, for classical and jazz. And uh, when I went to college, I was like, I want to make video games. So okay. I went into comp sci with uh, programming as a minor and I got my degree in that. And they sucked the life out of me as far as <laughs> wanting to program. I came out of that degree hating programming so much and just a side note i'm really happy i re-explored it on my own a few years later Uh, i love programming now but schooling did nothing (laughs) to to kindle that uh so then i changed when i went to my bachelor's though i changed over for uh, music composition and uh took composition and theory courses and uh played in the the symphony there uh for the two years I think that I had a scholarship for and then I ran out of funding and never actually got my bachelor's in composition but I accrued as much knowledge as I could nice yeah uh, schooling is interesting in that it's like if you have the wrong if you have the wrong teachers or the wrong uh you know the wrong situation like it can turn you off from whatever you're you're studying yeah even if it's something you love um, and I mean, in the long run, I'm, I'm kind of happy about it because I probably wouldn't have ended taking, I probably wouldn't have ended up taking the composition and theory courses without it. But, uh, yeah, I kind of sucked at the moment. I hate having to change, a, a, a focus midway through. Yeah. I, I was kind of lucky and unlucky in that I chose music, but I never really had like a second option, like for me anyway, <laughs> you know, it was like, that was all I really wanted to do. So at least it made it easy to stick with one thing. Um, but you know, as a 30 year old, I'm looking back and thinking I should have done a different profession cause I have children and making money with music is not easy. No, it isn't. It is. I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm reacting. Yeah. Like I said at the beginning, I tried selling the music I had and it's especially working with classical, which is where I started. Nobody's paying for classical no. music. <laughs> so, yeah, starving artist. That's where yeah. I've been with most of my life <laughs> with my music. Yeah, and I, and I found some ways. And what I've kind of discovered is that it's these days you have to have as many different kind of revenue streams as possible, you know. So I gig yep. when I can if, the, if I get high paying gigs, um, teach, I do a lot of teaching. You know, then there's this, the, the YouTube stuff and, um, I'll do some recording work or, you know, basically whatever I can find to like kind of yeah. fill up the time. And, um, so how did you, uh, get into teaching into teaching? Cause well, you seem like a, a natural on it on your channel. I've been teaching guitar, which is my main instrument, obviously. Uh, I've been teaching that since I started playing really, or like a couple years after I started playing. So like I was giving friends lessons in high school and, and, uh, or like kids that I, I knew, um, and then I kind of just kept doing that through when I went to music school and then on through. So I've been teaching for privately for, I don't know, almost 20 years now. Right. Um, so 
that there's some experience there. And then when it comes to like teaching this sort of stuff I do in the prog school, I think I've only gotten better at that because I've made so many videos. <laughs> um, like if you were to watch my videos from two years ago when I started the channel, like I think the, the content's okay, but the presentation, at least to me, is pretty poor in general because um, I felt very uncomfortable in front of the camera. Uh, and I still kind of do to a certain extent, but I've done it enough that it, it started to feel less <laughs> less kind of awkward. You get, you get used to it. Yeah, yeah, you kind of get used to the red light syndrome. And I've, I've slowly figured out a way, I think, to teach this kind of stuff that works okay for me. Um, I do write out scripts for most of my videos, um, which people have called me out on. You're like, it feels like you're reading from a script. I was like, yes, I am. Um, I am. <laughs> then, that, then it becomes tricky to try to make that feel somewhat natural. Um, I, don't, I, I don't think that I could teach some of this complex stuff that I do without a script, though. Um, yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that you touch on, especially when you get into heavy polyrhythmic stuff, yeah. I mean, just to memorize every single thing you're going to be talking about, you have to be working in such short uh, bursts of shots. And I do. I do yeah. like um, typically my shots are like a paragraph at a time kind of thing um, for those type of videos. But for me to explain it and have it make any some any kind of sense, I have to like write down what I'm going to talk about because otherwise it just ends up being rambling kind of nonsense, um, especially for me. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm quite known for my rambles, so I, I could probably use some tightening up if I didn't do things live. Yeah, but like the sort of videos you're doing, you couldn't script it out anyway. No. Um, and I, I, I do, thought about it. Yeah. I don't know but, how you'd even do that. <laughs> Would you like re well, react to it and then after the fact write a script maybe? Yeah, like react to it and then maybe not even maybe not a full script, but even just like putting a, an outline together. And then trying to stick with that possibly. Yeah. But I feel like at that point, I might as well just cheat and listen to it a couple more times and come at it as a full analysis, like like what you do or, or like 12 tone or something. Yeah. I have seen a few reaction channels that will do like they'll listen to the song and then do a different take where they talk about the things they liked about it and have like a list, you know. Where it seems like maybe they took a, f a few minutes to write stuff down or listen to it again. Yep. So you just listen to it the one time usually and like do it all kind yeah. of like straight through. Yeah, it's it's part of the spectacle. <laughs> How much music can this guy remember 40 minutes after he's listened to a song? Yeah, I mean, and it's like some of the music you're listening to is like so dense and involved or long songs. Like I wouldn't be able to remember. <laughs> I feel like I wouldn't be able to remember anything, but. I don't know how it works. I can't remember what I had for breakfast today, but music just, it sticks with me. I don't know. Yeah, it sticks with me too. It, it's like kind of depending on if I'm doing the type of videos, like analysis videos that I do, I have to listen to the song like a million times, obviously. But I mean, you go into a lot more depth than I do. So that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. And like some of the stuff, if it's songs that have been out for a while that I know and like, like that's a little bit easier um, when I did that periphery analysis a couple months ago, right after the song came out, that was like maybe the fastest I've ever turned around, like a full analysis of a song. Um, dude, I was surprised. I saw that and I was like, I got to dig into this. I was like, this dude's on the ball. I, that was, I, I don't plan on doing that again. If people, so <laughs> after I put that video out, I, I had a bunch of people in the comments like, Oh, can you react to, Oh, you should do this song from this periphery album too. I was like, 
And I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, I can't. <laughs> like to turn, I, I was actually hoping to turn that video around even faster, but um, I don't know. I did a 40 minute full analysis of the song a week after it came out. So, and I mean, that's good. And it, it, it probably took like 80 hours of work, if I'm being honest. So I don't doubt it. So people you put a lot of work into even just the understanding and the scripting would have been a while. Yeah, I mean, because people don't understand how much is involved in a in a video like that. Um, and it's it's part of the reason that I'm trying to find ways to make videos a little bit faster, like certain types of videos, because some of these are just so time intensive. Um, but to do a video like that, I have to listen to the song a million times. I've got to then actually figure everything out. Then I have to transcribe it if I want to put any sort of um, visual on the screen of the actual music. Then I have to write a script, figure out how I'm going to talk about it. Then I have to film the video. Then I have to edit the video. You know, it's like it's like a it's like a ten step process to do something like that. And each one of those steps oh, is like yeah. difficult on their own. So, um, I mean, and the thing is too is that your video isn't just you staring at the screen either. You have a lot of graphics that go on that help explain things. And uh, you use animations too, don't you? Sometimes, is, yeah. yeah. It's mostly um, like, you know, I'll screenshot um, a passage of music and then I'll put it on. But sometimes I'll do like uh, counting animations where I'll have like numbers go along with the... Yeah. And that stuff is is time consuming and annoying, but I feel like it's an extra step that that's necessary. Um to especially as as I've started to do that more and more, I feel like that's kind of expected. So I have to keep doing that. Yep. <laughs> you know, to a certain extent. Um do you find keyframing animations annoying? Yeah, yeah, of course. But yeah, okay. I I just because like I'm not a film editor. Yeah. But I, I got into that because of YouTube uh with a previous project. And I always I found it rewarding at the end, but the process of making things move in film is just so annoying to me. Yeah, video the video editing process, and I'm not a master at it. I've just I've gotten good enough to do the specific thing that I do. But video editing is the worst part of making any of my videos by far, at least for me. Yep. Um, but it's also a necessary step, and it is because you need that that production quality. The, and, the visuals to bring people in. Yeah, and as I mentioned, I I don't feel very comfortable with just like talking and being like the most animated personality. So I feel like the visuals are necessary for me um, to kind of add a little more uh, life to the video in general. Yeah. Because um, I don't think I don't see my personality changing anytime soon. So <laughs> you got to like yeah, by work by, that. by thirty something. I think yeah. you're set. Yeah, pretty much set. Um. But I, I, I do genuinely, genuinely enjoy making the videos. It's just uh, they can be very time consuming. So I get a lot of requests for like, analyze this song or analyze this song. And it's like, yes, but also <laughs> that's you're asking me to do like, you know, 40 hours of work or whatever. Yep. Um, which in some cases I'm willing to do. But um, it probably helps, too, if you have like a connection to the song somewhat. Whether it's like a riff you enjoy or just the overall song itself and you want to dive into that it. That makes a big difference, yeah. And like I've done a number of videos like that where it's a, one of my favorite bands. You know, that's fun. I learn a lot by doing it. It's a good time. Um, some of the things like the Periphery one, who I like Periphery, but they're not like a top band for me. 
Uh, I did that because they're a big band and I thought that that would be a video that people would actually watch, you know, in general. Um, but I enjoy their music enough that it was worth analyzing. Um, I try not to do stuff that I, I like don't really enjoy too much because then I feel like I would be faking, you know, faking the analysis part of it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't know if you feel this way too, but when it comes to stuff, I, I just completely don't enjoy, which is pretty rare, but it ends up feeling like a job. And I, I don't want this music stuff I do to feel like a job. Yeah. And I mean, it, it will at some point, obviously feel like a job. Um, but yeah, and, and I'm doing this channel because I genuinely enjoy and love this kind of music. So yep. I want to choose bands that I genuinely enjoy. Cause I, I had someone ask me recently about tool, which you talked about tool too. And I don't hate Tool. In fact, there was a period where I really enjoyed Tool. But I don't have like that strong of positive feelings towards Tool that it's worth me doing a huge analysis video. Um, you know, maybe at some point I'll do just like a small chunk of a rhythmic part from a Tool song or something. But I don't ever see myself doing a full Tool song because I don't really just don't really care that much about Tool. That's mm -hmm. interesting being so big into Prague. Uh, Tool is always a band that I hear pop up when we talk about prog rock. I like Tool and and the things I like about Tool are the rhythmic sort of aspects. Um I feel like Tool's sound is very kind of one note in in a lot of ways. Um the little bit I've heard of them, I can agree with that. They have they have their sound and they do it very well. Oh yeah, for sure. But they don't really do anything else. <laughs> And there are certain Tool songs that I absolutely love. And I'm like, this is fantastic. And then some of it, I'm like, meh, you know, um, I get it and I respect it. But so that's where I sit with them. Yeah. So you're talking about Tool being a negative feedback is what in night, what was Nightwish and Baby Metal? Yep. What other artists have you done that you like can think of that where it got like big negative reactions? Uh, man, I think those are really the, the okay. three big ones that stand out to me. Uh, and we've, I've had them on the channel a couple of times each and it's not even that I'm negative about them. I just have criticisms. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll say, you know, this didn't quite work for me and they'll come out. How dare you call this band the worst? I'm like, that's not what I said. Oh, so it's not even that you're like, I don't like this song. All you just like have, like, I don't like this part or this section or whatever. Yeah. Like I will generally praise them for what they do well, but I'll say, you know, it didn't click with me or this one section was kind of weird or something like that and it'll just be like that's what they hyper oh you know what another one was was abba oh interesting okay i i misused the word mundane when i wanted simple okay and it was it was a simple folk track yeah like a, a folk pop thing and uh just out of the woodworks abba fans coming in telling me that i i'm a composer and i don't <laughs> I'm not a real music writer and I don't know real music when I hear it. Oh my God. It was wild. <laughs> There's certain fan bases that are like hardcore. And like, if you say yeah. anything negative about that particular artist or band, they'll be like all over you. Yeah. And that's kind of wild to me. It's, it seems a little weird to me that you can't accept criticism of artists that you like. I don't yeah. know. Uh, even my I mean, favorite bands of all time, if they write something I don't like or I don't think is high quality, like I have no problem saying it. <laughs> no, I don't. And like nothing is perfect. All no. art is made by humans. So uh, I, I've just never understood that sort of uh, loyalty, I suppose, the fanaticism around some bands. 
Yeah. And I think maybe when I was younger, I had a little more of that towards certain bands. You know, it'd be like, how can you think that this band isn't the best thing in the world? Um, <laughs> you know, when you're like really yep. into something as a kid. But as I've gotten older, I'm like, yeah, well, obviously not everything is perfect by your favorite band. <laughs> it's like... I mean, part of that, too, I think, is just growing up and trying to figure out who you are and kind of latching your identity onto stuff. But I'd hope that as you grow up, you you move out of that. seems like a natural evolution in maturity, I suppose. I would imagine I'd be surprised to see, like, what the ages are of the people who are doing this kind of comments. You know, I would imagine at least hopefully that it's more on the younger side. But, um, yeah, like if you're really into something when you're a kid, you you're right. You kind of get your identity from that specifically. Yeah. Um, like and I guess some people just don't grow out of that too. Yeah, probably not. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, grown up adults or grown up kids. I mean, basically 40 <laughs> uh, year old children. Um, yep. <laughs> and, and I kind of get that, you know, when I was 18, I think like, I feel like dream, like dream theater was like my life basically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it makes sense given you know where your musical stuff is has gone. Yeah, and it's funny now. Like I never, I hardly ever listen to Dream Theater at all anymore, unless for nostalgic reasons. Um, but like, I, I can see like how as a kid I might have felt that way if someone said something bad about Dream Theater when I was eighteen. Um, yeah, but that's uh, that's the kind of stuff you hopefully grow out of as a as an adult. Are there? I was wondering, are there some bands or musicians you've discovered from reacting that are like some of your favorite artists now? Yeah. Um, oh, uh, let's see. That's kind of weird. Like some of my favorite. Or, or my like artists that you really love that you discovered yeah. from reacting. Uh, Venturesty is going to be one of them, which kind of surprised me because they're a bit on the heavier side. I actually know. Um, I know the guitarist in Venturesty personally. Because they're, oh, they're from Portland cool. and I'm from Seattle, which is yeah. close by. Yeah. Um, they were fans of my previous progressive metal band. And we've chatted like quite a number of times. So Dude, yeah, that's awesome. I know those guys. Yeah. They're cool. They're they're cool music, like kind of black, blackened Prague a little bit. Yep. Uh, I remember, I don't remember what song we did uh, on the channel. And it was the only time I've ever done this. I was like, I need to, I need to hear more now. Oh. And I did another reaction back to back and just picked a random song from them. And then I went and bought the albums that day. It was huh. so good. Nice. I'll have to, I'll have to let them know. <laughs> um, yeah, I think and they, they just put out a new track too. Yeah. I watched the video. It was good. Um, yeah, they have a new album. I think all their stuff has gotten better and better over yeah. you know, with each They've album. They've improved a lot. Yeah. It's cool to see that with with bands, especially if you know the people. Be like, hey, yeah, that's sounding you know even better now. I think that's obviously the goal. They just sound better each time, but it doesn't always <laughs> happen. But yeah, that uh, that that's one of the few that come to mind. Um, though looking back at like my top ten albums, because I do videos each year of like the top ten released that year, and uh, I think most of them are bands that I discovered through the reaction okay. stuff. So is there like a certain type of music that you really found that you like since reacting? Uh, yeah. Technical death metal. Actually, I love technical death metal. I didn't know I would like it because it sounds really aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was introduced to uh, a couple of bands and then I found Archspire, yep, Archspire. and, uh, 
I was like, this is, I could, I could get used to this. I, I still find it very fatiguing, but it's rewarding to push through and uh, hear all the stuff they're, they're cramming into this, the, the music they're creating. Yeah. Well, death, death metal in general can be very, like for me, it's, it's, um, it's best in short spurts, you know, for certain yep. times. Like I have a hard time listening to a full death metal album. Um, actually, you know, there's a reason most tech tech, tech death albums are like 30 minutes long <laughs> because they're so yep. like in your face. Um, but even then I have a hard time listening to a, a full album straight through. It's just like too much, you know, in some cases, but it, it really is. It is a lot of a lot. And in a very short amount of time. I think there's something cool about though. They're just like, everyone just go for it. You know what I mean? Just like all out. Oh yeah. Just the pure spectacle of the musicianship on display is what always draws me back to it though. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a, there was a phase where I was really into tech death. So like I have, there's quite a bit of my music that actually has some of that in parts, you know, where it'd be like this part, I'm just going to like go crazy, you know, for, for 30 seconds or whatever. Um, or certain songs would be like, this one is a place to kind of go more insane with, with, with the playing in general. But, um, yeah, it's a very cool style of music and, um, you know, straight ahead death metal for me is a little bit of a harder listen. Um, but even some of that I'll, I'll enjoy, you know, in, in spurts. <laughs> I, I, when it comes to death metal, for me, I think there's a couple of songs that hit me, but for the most part, it's a genre that's mostly bounced off of me. Yeah, death metal is okay for me. I I really have a hard time with black metal. That's the one that's like of all the metal <laughs> of all the metal subgenres, which I I have a very open palette. I listen to all kinds of metal, but that's the one that like very little of it has has really connected with me at all. Somehow, I have attracted the black metal community to my channel. <laughs> probably because you've actually reacted black metal which a lot of people don't do yeah that's that's probably it right there but i don't think we can go a week without having a black metal reaction and it is easily my most reacted to genre and i don't like it <laughs> it is a very much an acquired taste and i kind of get the aesthetic behind it and like i understand the like the purposefully not as well produced like sound um it just yep. isn't a sound that i am really a fan of <laughs> so. that, that's that's where i'm at with it some of the more uh progressive black and stuff i've heard is neat but none of it's anything that i've i've actively gone out of my way to explore i do like the sort of black and inspired uh like prog that kind of like some of the newer enslaved stuff i really enjoy that um so there are definitely like black metal influence things that I, I like, but like straight up black metal is just, it's really hard for me to listen to. It is like you said, an acquired taste, but I suppose any sort of, you know, non traditional style or like, you know, non, non pop kind of based style of music would be to a certain extent. Um, you know, a lot of the music that I enjoy listening to, I know if someone isn't used to that sound, that it would be hard to listen to. Um, oh, for sure. Like there's not, a, you know, someone who doesn't listen to metal much or prog or whatever. Like if I try to show them between the buried and me, they'd be like, what the heck is this? You know? <laughs> yeah. Where? And see, that's interesting too, because like, you know, we just got done talking about tech death, but that's definitely an acquired taste. But for whatever reason, there are elements to it that we can uh, gravitate to more easily than 
the core components of, of black metal. Yeah. Actually, Tech Death, I think part of it is like, even if it's super insane and crazy, most of it ends up being in 4-4, four, four, um, having like some kind of discernible backbeats in a lot of cases. Um, harmonically, it's not usually like that crazy, like insane. It's just basically like Art Spy, for example, like um, it's technical, crazy fast. The harmonic progressions are not anything super crazy and the rhythms themselves are fairly straightforward. It's just that it's done like at insane speeds. It's very fast. You know? yeah. <laughs> so I think in that way, it, it actually isn't that hard of something to latch onto. Um, if you're okay with those sort of like crazy speed of it. <laughs> yeah, with that specific extremity. Yeah. 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 Like the really metal that is much more abrasive, like especially harmonically, that's the stuff that I think a lot of people have a hard time getting into. Um, where it basically it borders on being atonal in a lot of cases. Um, that's a sound that I think oh, man. a lot of people have a problem with. Yeah, atonality, dissonance as a primary harmonic constant. I just, it's real difficult for me to, to get into any of that. And that's, I mean, even outside of metal, I have a tough time getting into avant-garde or like free jazz for that same reason. And even microtonal stuff, I, it grinds on me a little more than I'd like to admit. Yeah, yeah, I can do it in spurts. Um, you know, in, in music school, we had to study all the 20th century composers, um, the your tone rows and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I have an understanding of it. And like, I think I like atonality as a contrast to tonality. So like in certain parts of a song, like, and I choose to do this sometimes when I'm writing, like, I'm going to just write something that's basically just atonal or like maybe as a tonal center, but there's no key or scale. But then I'm going to contrast that by going into something tonal after that or before it, you know, that's that's like my kind of preferred approach to atonality. Um, the sort of <laughs> aton atonal all the time like that is that's tough. Yeah, that's that's it's so far outside my wheelhouse and. Even not even just from a, a listening perspective, but you know, even from an analysis perspective, it's really difficult for me to latch on to any meaning in that because chords uh, and and structure and all that tells me what a song's trying to say. And when you ditch all that harmonic information, I'm like, it's just noise now. What do I make of this? Yeah, harmony, and and this is something I've talked about in putting my lessons, and I talk about with my students too. Is like harmony really is, I think, the biggest the most important element that gives something a mood or a feel, um, you know, like a single note could be harmonized in hundreds of different ways. And each one of those is going to like give you a different kind of, kind of feeling. Um, yep. so when you take away the harm, like when you take away the tonality, like it does make a, a big difference. Um, yeah. so yeah, that's, and, and that's one of the things I've really been exploring a lot lately is, um, is how is how you harmonize things or how you like the types of chords and harmonies you're using. Um, I find that stuff really fascinating. Um, for sure. How much you can like twist something by just changing the chords around. Yeah. And even like speaking about like emotional connection on stuff, you can easily <laughs> change just a couple of chords and completely invert an emotional resonance. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. And just, that type of uh, 
that type of slip where it sounds like you haven't really changed much at all, but the song feels so different now. And I think that's, that's really key to uh, making tracks that people remember. Yeah. Or reharmonizing like melodies like that kind of stuff, or even just changing, sometimes just changing one chord. Like when you repeat something that can yep. make a massive difference. Oh yeah. Um, at some point, one of my upcoming lessons will be on reharmonizing melodies. Cause I think that's a, a pretty interesting subject. Um, Speaking of, I'm really happy that the lessons you teach aren't always like the grand ideas, but always, uh, but sometimes some of the smaller ways that you can change things up. Mm -hmm. um, because one of the things I talk about on my channel is is composing efficiently and reusing stuff you've you've written. A, a lot of prog bands, especially, I hear this is it's just always constantly new ideas. And callbacks, recontextualizations, variations on ideas, these are super important in music. And I feel like metal and rock just don't utilize that too often outside of verse, chorus, first chorus kind of idea of one-to-one -one reutilization of concepts. Yeah, and, and the, the verse, chorus, like pop song structure is like a built-in, it's, it's a built-in structure that will automatically make your song feel connected and cohesive, like right off the bat. There's a reason people use it. I use it all the time. Prog yeah. bands in general actually use it way more than you think. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a different way to write where it's more kind of motivic development, like I think of it. Um, and that's kind of kind of the biggest thing that I focus on when I'm writing is like, how can I try to bring back these ideas? You know, whether I change them or you know, reharmonize them or maybe it's a different rhythm or different instruments, whatever. Yep. Trying to figure out ways to bring back stuff as much as possible. Um, I mean, for example, the great stereopticon, which you reacted to, like at first listen, it seems like kind of crazier through composed, but I could, I could break down how basically every single thing in that song happens multiple times in different ways. Um, yeah. So I'm, I do think about that a lot when I'm writing. It's like, how can I bring these things back or, you know, kind of connect? I mean, even general. even your most recent video, I'm going to plug this for you, ah, <laughs> of, uh, of <laughs> taking a rhythm you have and just shifting it a little bit and creating new uh, sections almost, new vibes, new rhythms. Yeah. Um, just by taking something you already written and just paste it a little later. Yeah. And that kind of simple stuff is like, I don't even always think about that enough myself, you know, but it's um, definitely can make a big difference for sure. Yeah. Um, or some of the, you know, when you get into like odd time signatures, for example, which is something I probably talk about more than anything else, because that's what all, all the people want me to talk about as a frog channel. Um, but there's so many simple ways to do that. Um, in like adding and subtracting, for example, um, I did a big lesson on that. Um, where you just take, take things that are normal and you just like add a beat or subtract a beat and that's how you yep. do it or, or breaking down rhythms to smaller chunks. Like you see, I don't know, someone sees like 1916 and they think in their head, they're like, that's absolutely ludicrous. But really, if you, it's just math. If you break it down to smaller chunks, then it can become understandable, you know? Yep. Um, I, I find just like the harmony thing, I find rhythm to be like super fascinating. And that's kind of why I've like delved so deep into some of the stuff. Um, there's so many different things you can do and I've, I'm always discovering something else and it's, it's kind of a fun, a fun journey. Oh, yeah. 
especially like when you said you get into these really weird time signatures of like 13, 17, 19, um, and you can just start applying math to it to find interesting pulses that by itself 19 feels crazy, untamable. And then you come up with like three, four, three, six, and you get into these weird pulses and then you create some really great stuff out of it though. Yeah. And then, you know, my thing has been trying to find ways to make crazy rhythms feel more natural or feel to the point where like you wouldn't be able to tell necessarily that it's a weird rhythm, that kind of thing. Yeah. Injecting that groove into it. Yeah. And like some of this stuff is, is really fun. Like for example, you could take eleven eight. This is one that happened in one of my songs and it's at a faster tempo and you split it into like five and six, for example. And what you do is you put a, you have the symbols do the five and the six and you put a backbeat on the six. So basically what you get is like a beat, like a four, four backbeat groove. Yep. But if you, if you cut out all the notes in between, you get like a slightly wonky four, four kind of groove. So you'd be like, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, And like, if you just clap that out, it almost sounds like I'm clapping like consistent notes. Yep. Um, but you can turn that into like a, a more straightforward groove. Um, so that kind of thing to me is really interesting, you know. See, and I think that's important too, is realizing that uh, with these odd time signatures, the rhythm drives so much of the feel of it. It can feel disjointed or it can feel connected based entirely on how your rhythmic aspects are completely devoid of your riffage on top of it. Yeah. And, and so like I'll play with those two feelings a lot. And this is what a lot of prog bands do. It's like um, you can take the what I call the dance of eternity approach, which is the dream theater song, where basically you actually outline every single odd time signature and they change all the time. And it's just like sort of maniacal time signature changing, um, which is cool and it has its place. Um, but the thing I do more often and which I think works better is like for most songwriting is to take an odd rhythm and give it some sort of a steady pulse or give it a backbeat, give it a groove, you know? Yep. Um, and you can kind of play between those two feels, you know, depending on, on what you want. Um, so that's kind of, kind of some of what I do. I, I've done a few lessons, especially earlier on where I focused on like trying to explain how to make time signatures groove, because I think that's a really important thing. If you want to try to write this kind of music. Yeah. I mean, especially if, uh, like, I, I know this kind of airs on the metal side of Prague a bit, but especially for people who want to write music like Animals as Leaders or Meshuggah or something, you got to you gotta figure out how to make these these time signatures groove. Well, Animals as Leaders isn't, is, a lot of their stuff is like on a different kind of level. Most of Meshuggah is 4-4. Four, four. Is 4-4, four, four. yeah. Yep. But it doesn't like, feel like, well, actually, yeah. that's kind of the inverse, isn't it? We're talking about like taking something odd and making it feel normal. They take something normal and make it feel weird. <laughs> yeah, but they always have that like most of Meshuggah stuff always has the steady pulse and a backbeat for the most part. Yeah. Um, so then you have these weird patterns cycling around it, which is such a cool effect. And like same thing with like, Periphery, for example, because they kind of come a lot from that Meshuggah kind of gent vein. Yeah. Or whatever. Most of their music is also in 4-4. They do have stuff that's not, um, but it's the same sort of deal of like turning – uh, four four into something much more syncopated you know um and i think the reason that stuff grooves so hard is because syncopation is kind of naturally groovy you know yep 
if you listen to a lot of funk music, for example, there's lots of offbeats. You know, it's not yep. they're not always just like pounding the the sort of quarter note pulse. So um the Meshuggah thing is like a next level of syncopation, where it's like the syncopation is created by doing these like polymeters, but it basically has the same effect. Um so that's oh, why yeah. in a Meshuggah concert everyone is like headbanging and you know. Um, which is not so easy to do if you're like changing time signatures every two seconds. True. Yeah. But it, so, it's, it's just fun to explore like that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. I find it interesting. You're really big into Prague. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, I have the Prague school. Yeah. Um, what got you into Prague? You had mentioned dream theater in your teens, um, did you always just have this natural gravitation towards this proggy or stuff? Or did you start on like classic no, rock, no, hard rock? Not. Um, I, I will say first, and people always ask me this, I listen to lots of music that's not prog. I listen to tons of music that's not prog. Um, and I enjoy all kinds of music. Um, I'm definitely not a snob about like prog at all. It's just the kind of music that that works for me. Um, right, it resonates. Yeah, I think... Well, when I started playing guitar, I was just very serious about like practicing. Um, I didn't really, I didn't come from a family of musicians and I didn't really have any friends that were like musicians either. So I didn't have like that mentor that, you know, shows you new music or whatever. Um, I did have one friend in high school that turned me on to like uh, Van Halen and Ozzy and Led Zeppelin, like all the kind of classic rock stuff. And I really latched onto that and I really enjoyed it because the guitar playing was good. It was cool solos and stuff. Um and then at the same time, I was trying to, I like kind of was like teaching myself classical guitar, um, which that's actually what my degree is in is classical guitar, which I oh, never play, cool. which I never play anymore sitting over there collecting dust, but I have a classical <laughs> guitar performance degree. Um, so I, I like taught myself some of that and I tried to teach myself some jazz chords. I was just very serious about practicing. Um, and then I came across John Petrucci in like a guitar magazine and I checked out Dream Theater and I was like, whoa, it was like. It felt like um, all the all the sort of rock music that guitar playing that I really enjoyed, but like amped up to a next level of complexity. Um, and then after that, I went to music school and like I learned all of the classical and jazz and music history and theory and all that. Um, and at the same time, I was listening to rock. So like in my mind, Prague is like the blending of of rock. It's basically the blending of rock music with classical and jazz music, at least in like a, a basic sort of explanation of it. Um, it's basically uh, rock and metal written by um, music theory nerds. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> it's funny that a lot, there's a lot of prog musicians that aren't trained though these days, which is interesting, but um, that's kind of like the sound overall. Basically like a high art meets low art is how I've described it before. Yeah, um, I could see that. And as for me, for me who loves rock music who loves to play power chords and like turn distortion on but also loves like the complex stuff it's just kind of like the perfect kind of blend of those two for me makes sense um yeah yeah so i can take all of the like stuff i learned at music school i can take all the chops that i've built up and but also still have like the rock element too yeah um and and I that get makes perfect sense. I get it if people don't enjoy it because it is you know it's not the easiest kind of listening music in a lot of cases, but um, just happens to work for for me personally. 
And obviously there's certain types of prog that like work better for me too. Cause it's, it's a big genre of music. Like people like to shoehorn to horn it to certain things, but it, it can encapsulate like a very wide array of sounds. So, you know, there's certain types of sounds that I, I tend to enjoy more than others, but I think. Especially that's... when you uh, start looking at, uh, you know, the history of prog and moving out of like modern prog metal to like seventies prog rock. Yeah, it's very different. Yeah. Yeah. And I end up uh, talking, you know, a lot about prog metal i feel like uh because like most of my audience is younger but like the old school prog rock stuff like i, I really kind of grew up on that too so i, I try to like cover some of that as well because i think it's important but and the thing is like i i have very little experience with the older prog rock um i have a couple people in the community constantly expanding my horizons with it but We've listened to a lot more prog metal, so that's that typically is what I'm more comfortable with when we get into this area of music. But one thing I've really picked up on, which I thought was really cool, is that a lot of prog rock is experimental in sound because a lot of it was recorded on tape. So the cool effects were like they had to find interesting ways to create the, the delay effect or the doubling effect or whatever sounds they were using. And so it was experimental in sort of a production way. Whereas modern prog metal is more experimental in the composition technique. Yeah, for sure. And like, I always use Pink Floyd as an example because everyone knows who Pink Floyd is. Like, Pink Floyd is not technical at all. Nope. But they are very much progressive. Um, yeah. And it's more in the sound and the vibe of it and the exploration of textures and, you know, that kind of stuff than it is in technical elements. So people always ask, people ask me, like, what? what makes something prog? And it's like, I think the easy answer would be like, Oh, time signatures, you know, and technical <laughs> playing. And like, but that's not really it at all. No. Um, it's really more like a, like an exploration in general, I feel like. Yeah. I, I kind of use prog as shorthand for experimental sometimes. Yeah. And I know they're not completely analogous, but prog tends to feel like that for me sometimes. Yeah. Like people just exploring things, you know, and, and sometimes that can be technical. Sometimes it can be, um, more just kind of you know uh sound wise or whatever but yeah production production yeah and, and you're right the older stuff is is very much kind of in that vein in a lot of cases yeah what kind of um older prog have you done have you done any on the channel like reacted to uh some? yeah we've had yes genesis yeah. king crimson uh what was the one you just said pink floyd, pink floyd of course, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Coliseum Two. Okay. I think that's what they're called. Maybe, maybe not. Have you done any Gentle Giant? Yes. Okay. Um, and we've checked out some really cool Italian prog rock from the seventies. Okay. I can't remember any of those bands, but the Italian scene was very cool. Yeah, there was like obviously everyone talks about the the British scene was like the big, the big thing. But yeah, there was definitely happening in other places. German bands too, and anywhere in Europe really. Yeah. Um, although there's American prog rock bands too, like uh, people, Kansas is one that people consider to be. Oh yeah, Kansas. Like Genesis is a big one. Genesis, yeah. Well, they they're UK too, but. Are they? Yep. Yeah. Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins. It's all in the UK. Oh. I do love Genesis too. I think Genesis gets a bad rap because of all the like, um, Phil Collins prog stuff, but or like pop stuff, <laughs> which I actually don't mind either but yeah i know that the the old school prog stuff is it's probably a harder listen for 
a newer audience because production isn't as good. Um, I find that, at least for myself, if I'm listening to older music, I kind of have to go into it with the thought that the production's not going to be at the same level that you're going to hear from a modern artist. And there's also just, I don't know, even on the musical level, the experimentation is different as well. And that's probably just because 50 years difference. We've explored, uh, you know, musical ideas that make some of that stuff seem tame. But at the time it was genre pushing. Yeah. Or envelope true. pushing. Um, so I, I find that difficult too, just because I'm coming at it, you know, way after when it was uh, when it was revolutionary. And so it sounds more mundane to me with modern ears and that makes it more difficult to appreciate uh, on a subjective level. Yeah, for sure. And there's certain things like uh, for gu guitar, for example, it's, it's a pretty new instrument, electric guitar, even back in the 70s. And like the yeah. things that you people can do on guitar now are so far beyond what we could do 50 years ago. So like you listen to a Genesis song, uh, there's um, Dancing in moon, Moonlit Night or whatever. That's the first song off of um, Selling Them by the Pound. And he does this like tapping thing. And like back then, that would have been like, you know what I mean? There's like pre Van Halen, like, yeah. what the heck? And now it's like every 10 year old kid can, can tap on, yep. on YouTube. So <laughs> um, it definitely is like a different level of, of, of um, ability, you know, on certain instruments. Yep. Especially ones that don't have as long of a history of, of being around. Yeah. Like I see kids now and that's a kind of demoralizing as a guitar player, but you know, you go on Instagram and you're basically just seeing like kids that can like outplay you like a million times. You're like, okay, great. Fine. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Speaking of uh, youth and technicality, how do you feel about bands like Polyphia where the technicality is pretty much the entire allure? I get asked about Polyphia all the time because they're like a massive band. Yeah, um, they're they're kind of the face of the whole Gen Z guitar movement. Basically, so. yeah, and I'm sure like anytime you react to Polyphia, you probably get tons of views. I know that's like a big. Yep. Um, and I've been asked like a number of times to analyze Polyphia, for example, um, and I probably would get a ton of views if I did it. But I'm not like a big fan of polyphia on a personal level okay, yeah so i'm right there with you <laughs> i think tim henson or both the guys but tim henson especially is a ridiculous guitar player he can do things i could never do he's like a he's he's a like a trailblazer on guitar for the way he plays sure. in his sound um i find their music to be pretty clinical and straightforward and kind of boring in general um and see <laughs> And, and, yeah, and like, the I'm thing right is like, I, I understand if people like it. Um, and if someone, you know, someone's going to come in the comments here and probably be like, what? I hate Polyphia. And it's like, it's just a personal preference thing. And I understand why kids like it. Um, cause it has like that hip hop sort of element, which is something I never really got into. So maybe that's part of the problem, but. I, um, I don't know what it is. Every time I check out Polyphia, I'm like, that was fantastic. But I don't want to watch anything else. Or I don't want to further explore the band. And there's just something about it that doesn't click for me. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the word clinical. It is just, it's technical almost to a fault where it's impressive, but it's missing that, that musicality, that soul, possibly. 
I mean, you could say the same thing about tech death, for example, though. That, yep. In some cases. And and even with tech death, like, I feel the same way. I just checked out uh, Niall's entire uh, For Whom the Gods Detest or something like that. Yeah. It's a classic. And uh, yeah, it's it's a it's very overwhelming in a hyper technical level and nothing about it really made me want to come back to it. I think it's very rare for tech death to uh, to make me want to come back for more. And that's why I mentioned Archspire and a lot of that's the Baroque element. Um, But like, yeah, with with Polyphia, it's. Much like tech death, like you said, it's, it's very clinical, it's very, very just technical oriented looking at the the proficiency of it all the thing about listing the music yeah the thing about polyphia i think that connects with people is that basically they're writing like technical guitar pop songs for the most part so you have like a very you have a very um accessible grooves the chord progressions are are enjoyable and understandable and they go where you would expect them to go um the grooves, like the sort of hip hop grooves, feel nice. Uh, there are melo- there are melodic elements. You know, they're kind of sometimes hidden within the guitar yep. noodling. So um, I-, I can definitely see why they've become so popular. Um, and it, it's not like it bothers me. I don't really care. But oh um, yeah, no. <laughs> people people often like to think that if you dislike a band, it's because you're mad that they're successful or something like. <laughs> Like, I'm more than happy. I, I'm all about elevating musicians yeah. on my channel, so I hope nobody thinks that of me. And, and but yeah, I mean, if they do, that's their problem. But like, yeah, you know, Polyphia, the those guys are making guitar popular for a lot of younger, 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 yeah, and that's excellent, younger players, which is fantastic. Um, as a guitar player, that's great for me. It means that you know, <laughs> more students. I might get some more students or some people that want to come check out what I do. Um, and those kids aren't all going to turn into carbon copies of Tim Henson. They're all going to become their own musicians if they decide to keep going. So yeah, um, nothing wrong with that. You know, back when when I was kind of coming up on guitar and it was like everyone was a John Petrucci kind of clone, <laughs> you know, in the in the prog scene. So it's like yeah. it's the same kind of sort of deals, just different generations. Yeah. Um, you mentioned animals as leaders and. I kind of, it, in a lot of cases, I have the same feeling about animals as leaders that I do about Polyphia. Yes. That a lot of it can be very clinical. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, when I checked out animals as leaders on the channel, I, that might've been another one where I upset the fan base because I was kind of, it was interesting, but kind of bounced off of me. It was there's, technically proficient, but there's something missing to it. There's some Animals as Leader songs that don't do that as much as others. There's some with some really nice melodies and a really good flow overall that I can listen to over and over again. Um, and then there's some of it that is just feels like, like a, you know, kind of ex- explore, exploration and technique for the sake of, of those. Yep, for the sake of the technique. Yeah. 100%. And I find it more interesting to listen to over like Polyphia, for example, because there's more going on harmonically and rhythmically. And for me, that I find that stuff fascinating. So like analyze i analyzed one of the animals leader songs the rhythms after it came out and like that was such a interesting study and i didn't really like i don't even really love that song that much but just the study of the rhythms was fun because they're doing some really crazy crazy stuff so um on that level i find animals as leaders to be a little more enjoyable for me to listen to personally but i think they do kind of fall sometimes into that same kind of hole 
of the clinical sounding stuff. So if you don't mind, I'm going to segue this into it. a question about your music. Oh, okay. How do you balance being uh, a technical prog band, but keeping that, that essence that keeps people from uh, becoming bored with what you're doing and staying engaged with maybe the emotional element of your writing? Whether or not I actually do this successfully is for the people who listen to it. Some people would probably say, like, this is too clinical and technical with my stuff, too. Um, the, the main thing for me is, and this goes to whether I'm writing instrumental music or vocal music. Mostly music I write these days is instrumental. But um, I always try to put a, fong, a strong focus on melody in general. That ends up being, in, even if the rhythms are crazy, chords are crazy, like, I want to have some... At least usually in every song, a couple of strong melodic motifs or ideas that I can build off of. Um, and I don't and usually for me, I don't make those t overly like noodly, like the melody's not hidden within like a crazy like tapping part or something like it's literally like a kind of more vocal style melody in a lot of cases. Yeah, clear as day understood. Exactly. Not a lot of ornamentation, at least the first time it happens, maybe later on you can ornament it more. Um that seems to work for me. And I think some of that for me is coming from, um, I was also a big like Joe Satriani fan back in the day with instrumental guitar music and like with his music or Steve Vai, but especially Satriani, there was always like a melody, like a hummable melody that you can latch onto. So I've, I feel like I've brought some of that over into the more proggy stuff where it's like, I want to have some kind of a melodic element to it. Um, yeah, for sure. So I, th I think that that's, that's one of the main ways I do that. Um, that in combination with what I talked about earlier, trying to make the odd rhythms feel more natural in a lot of cases. Um, that teams, so it, seems to work for me okay. It's about injecting those uh, more traditional elements of uh, mainstream or popular music into the technical stuff. Yeah, and, not being, and, and being okay with like having something be simpler in spots if it needs to be. Um, yeah, that's important too, is balancing uh, complexity. Yeah, I, I, I want to, for me, the biggest thing about writing music in general or composing, um, and I try to, I try to pass this on to my students and stuff is, is contrast. And that can happen in so many different ways. We talked about the contrast between like, I don't know, tonal and atonal, for example. Um, but you can contrast fast and slow, you can contrast light and dark, like with moods, you can contrast heavy and, you know, you can contrast textures of how many instruments you're using. You can contrast range of the instruments. Like there's so many different ways to do it. Um, and if I'm always constantly thinking about that, if it's like, if I'm writing something, has it been too much of one thing for too long? You know, like that's why like tech death is hard to listen to in big spurts because it's very much like one vibe consistently. Yep. Um, whereas like a prog band, if they were doing something super technical, would probably do that. And then all of a sudden they break into like a quiet part or something, you know, <laughs> to kind of give it some, some balance. So that's probably the main thing I think about when I'm writing is like the contrast of things. If it's like, if I'm writing something I'm like, okay, I've been in this vibe for way too long. It's time to like <laughs> go to something else, you know? Yeah. I started to, uh, laugh a little bit when you brought up contrast, cause that is probably the biggest talking point on my channel is dynamics and finding a middle point between extremes if necessary. Um, and I feel like I bring up 
contrast every single video i feel like i hammered in all the time and it was so funny for you to bring it up here as well it is i mean it's super important um especially if you're dealing with music that's not kind of like straightforward pop music that you know if you're doing a really straightforward four minute song like there's less time for contrast it's not as big an issue typically um but if you're starting to write more complex longer music it's something you have to think about at least to a certain extent yeah yeah. I don't know about you when you're writing music, like if you're thinking about that kind of same. If I'm thing. doing the same thing for 45 seconds, I'm like, dang, I'm getting bored of this. If I'm getting bored, the listener's getting bored. It's time to change. <laughs> well, I mean, there may be an issue of intention, attention spans in general <laughs> with that. <laughs> I do have a short attention span when it comes to music. I'm not going to lie. Have you, found that, if it's some... have you found that that's been worse with like the advent of social media? Probably like I'm, I'm thinking back to like stuff I listened to as a teenager. And I think I had less resistance towards repetition back then. Now I definitely, I, I just, if something's been around for a while, I needed to change. So, yeah, I don't know if that's because of social media, but at least correlated to. Yeah. That's something I've been thinking about in general is this people's lack of attention span not just for music, but for, for everything. Um, yeah. And I definitely feel it. Like I used to be able to just sit down and listen to albums straight through with no distractions or, you know what I mean? Because I didn't have the distraction of like a phone. Right. Um, and so like now I have to force myself to listen to music, be like, okay, I got to go take a walk so I can listen to this album or whatever. Yeah, um, isn't that weird? It's weird. And it, and because I'm a musician and this is my life and I love music and it's like, I should be able to just like sit down and listen to an album, but like my short attention span, I think because of, of social media and, and smartphones and stuff has made that difficult. So I'm like trying to push against that, you know, when yeah. I can. Um, and you have like a I mean, setup where you can actually listen to music all the time because you're reacting to it, you know? Yeah. You've turned it into um, a job. So <laughs> there you go. Which is nice. Yeah. I, I, I very much appreciate being able to explore music and get paid for it. Uh, very lucky with this job no that's great i mean you know you have something where it's like the short attention span thing can't really like get in the way because you have to like sit down and focus on it if you want to make a good reaction to something yeah um and like i've even noticed this uh attention span thing It, it even goes into other media i remember when dune came out um on hbo last year or something and it's like two and a half hours long. Yeah. It took me six sittings to finish it. Really? I love that movie. But... Yeah. I'd get like 30 minutes in and just my br- my brain would be like, let's do something else. I don't want to watch this anymore. <laughs> yeah. The pace of movies is interesting. If you go back and watch, I really, I'm a big movie fan too, but if you go back and watch movies from like the nineties, even like the pace of the movies is so much yeah, slower. They're slower. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's a lot better because like things really take their time to get to something. It's like, you don't see the T-Rex in Jurassic Park for like an hour, for example. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in a modern movie, you'd see the T-Rex like right away. You know what I mean? Yeah, it would be the opening shot of some yeah. you know nobody character. Yeah. yeah. So that they can be killed off before we get to the protagonist. <laughs> and that doesn't work as well, you know, in, in that. In Not that, for suspense, no. No, in that particular case, um, you know, and so it's, sometimes I like it when I see a movie that has like a slower pace. And I guess music's the same way. Sometimes it's nice if something takes a little time to get somewhere. Um, 
There are ways you can do that, though, and make it more interesting. Like if it's literally the exact same thing for like a couple minutes, that's rough. Um, if you're adding instruments or like starting to add different sounds and like slowly building to something that usually works if it's done well. But Yeah. Um, and see, like slow burns. I'm, I'm not a big fan of slow burns. And I wish I was because it's you get to see the building blocks. You start with your foundation and like every eight bars, you add a new layer to yeah. it. But two minute slow burns. I'm just like, can we move on, please? I hate being that way, but it's it's how the it's how my brain works. Some of that doesn't yeah. work at all for sure. And like um I think once again, Pink Floyd is probably a good example of sometimes like a really slow burn that works really well for me personally. Like some because there's like such an atmosphere that gets built in some of that stuff that I just like gets like drags me in, you know. Yeah. And, and see, the other thing, too, it might also be casual listening works better because you can just feel the music. Um, and, and see, now I'm wondering, do I like slow burns on my own time? I got to explore this now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's a any... reaction thing. Yeah, because like when I'm reacting, I'm actively listening. I'm looking. Oh, there's a new thing. What is it doing? And if nothing's changing, my brain's looking and seeing no new puzzles to, to solve. Yeah, yeah. And it gets bored. So it might just be the uh, like frame of mind too. Yeah, that's possible. I find that that kind of, uh, if it's more atmospheric or slower, that that seems to work really well. If I'm uh, if I take a walk or something, you know, and I can I can be fully absorbed in kind of like the atmosphere of it, or driving in a car sometimes too. Although that doesn't always work because sometimes the music's too quiet <laughs> to be heard in a car. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think. Yeah, maybe maybe that's some something you should experiment with is recontextualize where you're listening to a certain thing. Yeah. Um, Makes me want to go through uh, like my favorites and find out if there's any like really long songs that I enjoy on on my own, but might not do so well in a reaction setting. Yeah. Do you enjoy longer songs in general? Um, I think I have a cutoff point okay. at like ten or eleven minutes, unless the song is just doing something really good. Uh, like Periphery's Reptile. It's a good song. I love. And it's like 20-something minutes. Um, but most of the time, I like shorter tracks. I'm a huge fan of post-hardcore and emo and pop rock. Okay. So even growing up, like three to five minutes is is what most of my attention yeah, span yeah. was in the rock realm. It's funny because in the prog world, it's like, I can't write anything that's less than like five minutes long. <laughs> like yep. I have a hard time doing it anyway. Um, yeah. And, and I think a longer song, you know, it has to be written in a certain way. Um, basically, I, I think the best way that like a really long song can be written uh, is essentially a couple of songs in one. Kind of, a, kind of like movements. Know. Yeah. So it's, movements to a larger so idea. It's basically like even reptile is kind of that way where you have like, very distinctive sections that are almost like their own songs. You know, yeah. a lot of big prog epics are like that, where it'd be like, whether they call it movements or not or whatever, they might not. But basically you have like, this is a song with like a verse and a chorus, and then it transitions into something else that is also a song with like a verse and a chorus kind of a thing. Yeah. And there's like connecting threads between them, you know, um, that seems to work well. If it's like one, if it's either just like idea after idea for like 20 minutes, that's hard. Cause it's two minute too much. 
or if it's like yep. the same thing for 20 minutes that's also hard because it's too little so you gotta find like the balance between this two. yeah and see like the the constantly throwing something new at you i mean that's how i feel about between the barrier to me often their longer tracks are just like a series of completely different sounds and that tends to wear on me just as much as staying in a single sound for too long yeah i i love between the barrier to me and it took me a while to kind of appreciate a lot of their music but um it's i as i listened to it more i found like more connected threads like inside of it you know um but i also kind of think of their music as being to a certain extent what i control i call like controlled chaos podcast yep where it's like this is just like absolutely like crazy and over the top but then right when you think it's too much they'll break into like a big melody that's like super good you know um and see is that more in their newer stuff older like older okay like colors for example which is the first album i listened to is a pretty bombastic album for the most part um i, I don't think it would be an easy one of the easier ones to listen to um you know if people it, it was not <laughs> no if people get into between the barrier to me that's what i started with and it worked for me for some reason but if people get into them i always say start with like coma ecliptic which has the least amount of growling or even some of the, the newer ones because they're a little more varied musically yeah um and a little bit less on the sort of like abrasive heaviness um and then i think if you can appreciate that then it's pretty easy then to go back to colors um, but colors is a is an incredibly important album it's one of the most important progressive metal albums um, see that's interesting because i own I don't know if I own it. I have listened to their self-title and colors. Okay. And both of them were just a, a bit much for me. So the, the older yeah. stuff, like the self-title, that's, that's tough. I, I think you would enjoy, I mean, you'd probably enjoy Parallax 2. That's one of my favorites. Or even Colors 2, which has a lot more variety. See, be checking out Colors 2 on Saturday oh, nice. for a full album cool. reaction. I think you'll probably we'll find that, that to be considerably more enjoyable based on on what i know that you like so. yeah um, i hope so because like there's always there's things about them i love they just tend to go about them in ways i don't yeah yeah <laughs> it's funny it's like i don't typically like music that's just idea after idea and random or like quote-unquote random um but for some reason between the bear and me the way they do it and the music they write it works for me it's one of the only cases where i where i really enjoy like almost through a composed kind of music like prog metal anyway right um so i'd be and curious almost, to see what your uh reaction to colors too is that almost speaks to something that maybe is uh under the surface maybe a little more difficult to parse but is there and helps hold everything together in ways that other more chaotic music doesn't and speaks to their composition yeah, and, and that kind of music is, you know, with a lot of prog, it, it requires multiple listens to kind of like latch on to things. So yeah, for sure. As I listen to um, Between the Barry Me albums more and more, like I would catch things and be like, oh, wait, they're using this rhythm underneath that came from this part, you know, that kind of stuff, which you yeah. would never catch on a first listen. Um, and see, that makes me think maybe you do subconsciously catch it, which makes it maybe. feel more cohesive, but you just haven't known that you caught it yet. Yeah, I was I was wonder about that, like, because I'll do I do a lot of that kind of thing in my music where I like very subtly 
hint at a previous idea in a background figure or something. And in, in my mind, I'm like, no one's ever going to like notice this. But is it actually doing something subconsciously that's helping? I, I have no idea. It would be. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how you study that. Psychologist on this. Yeah, yeah. What part? Like, there's plenty of psychologists that have done studies of people listening to music, but could they figure out like what part of the music you're actively listening to and what part you're like subconsciously listening to? Yeah. That'd be interesting. I don't know. <laughs> It'd be pretty cool though. Pretty I'd, cool. I'd read that study. That's uh that's the real nerd stuff there. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Reading essays is just fun. Do you read essays? Yeah. Not very much. <laughs> not very much. Wow. I, I don't read enough I, in general. That's, that's something I need to do more of. I I stopped reading fiction a while ago mm. and I've just picked up a lot of nonfiction essay writing. And okay. I don't I don't know why. It's really awesome for me. And a lot of people are like, you read that dry stuff? And I'm like, do you see what kind of stuff I make? <laughs> I'm a dry person. <laughs> I wish I wish I could in in a lot of cases listen like do that kind of thing because I I know I've learned a lot. Yeah. Um maybe it's a tension span thing. I just like it's I have a hard time if something's super dry either reading or listening for a long periods of time oh i'm i'm not gonna lie when i read this stuff it's like 10 15 minutes spurts okay well there you go yeah that's how you have to do it <laughs> yeah it's it's dense and dry it's not something i'm doing all in one shot <laughs> yeah yeah well that's the only way you can really like i think get a handle on all of it too is to kind of take it in spurts if it's really complex you know topics yeah um yeah, I, I guess I'd do the same thing if it if it was like a nerdy music thing. If it was something that was really complex, maybe I would like take it in little little chunks or whatever. Yep. Um, cool. Well, we're at about like an hour and a half, so I should probably let you go. Yeah, I'm I'm out of questions. <laughs> out of so. questions. We have nothing left to talk about at all. No, uh, I feel like you asked me more questions do, than I asked you. Or we do, and we'll you. save it for part two. <laughs> yeah, part two. <laughs> uh, no, thank you so much. I I. I really genuinely appreciate you reacting to my song um, as a smaller artist. Like that doesn't, you know, a channel your size, which is much larger Dude, than mine. It, it, it I'm glad great. having heard it. No, it, it's, it's really great. I, I think what you're doing is, is great that you're helping out, you know, smaller artists and um, the deep dive reaction stuff. It's, it's very good. So everyone go check out Brian's channel, critical reactions. Um, he does all kinds of, all kinds of good stuff over there. Well, thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, thanks for coming and talking to me.